Welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Rumble. Also, it's streaming everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, you name it. Also, today's show is sponsored by MyPillow and Mike Lindell. Go over to MyPillow.com. Get up to 66% off on all of the items. Every single item from MyPillow is made from top quality material. Now, that being said, today's guest, his name is Christian Migliori. He has authored this book, The Hungry Young Man. This is a man's man type of book, a book that we need today in 2022 with all this woke policies that are happening here. You start seeing that men are being demonized like a real man's man. So I I, I read this book. It is absolutely amazing. Again, The Hungry Young Man, a cop's view of today's state of manhood in the Western world by Christian Migliori. So with that being said, let's get to it. All right, welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. We have lots to talk about. I got something going. I got something cooking here. This is the big leagues. It's New York. I said I was in the worst neighborhood, man. I said I had a near-death experience. Crazy Robert. If you've been through what I've been through in the past month, you'd be you'd be crazy too. All right, Christian Migliori. Correct. How are you, brother? I'm well. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, for people that don't know who you are and how you got here, give us a little brief background about yourself. Well, I was born and raised on Long Island, uh, Wantawa. Um, Nassau guy. Nassau guy, yeah. Okay, Nassau, uh, you know. Born and bred, it's all right, yeah. Um, my family, my dad's side's from the city and from the old country. And my mom's side is, um, well, my mom was born here. She grew up in Nassau, but her side is from the old country, Italy, you know, the south. Yeah, okay, Sicily? Yeah. No, no, not that far south. Uh, my mom's family is from a region called Apulia. And they all came from towns like Bari, um, Modugno, um what's the other town? Whatever it was yeah, over there in Italy. Yeah, Whatever is over there in well, Italy. Well, my cousins are still there, so I went to see them. My brother went back to see them a few times. So, yeah, it was great. It was so how crazy. was growing up for you? Good. I mean, and I grew up. Um, Be careful when you knock. When anytime oh, you knock, oh, right, right. It's gonna you're going to hear it. So it. if people don't watch, they're going to hear it. Just keep got it, pounding. It, it's it. so sensitive. No, no sweat. No sweat. Um, yeah, I grew up in Nassau County. And, uh, you know, I did the things that most kids do out here. Um, I would say about 18, 19, I kind of caught a bug. And it was like, what am I going to do with my life? Get straight, do something, you know, constructive. And law enforcement stood out to me. Just, I don't know, if, I can't say I had an epiphany or whatever, but it was one of those things where... I I took the test on a cold, rainy Saturday afternoon in New York City, Bronx High School somewhere, I don't remember which one. Passed it, did well enough, and the NYPD hired me in July of 86. 86. July of 86, I was 20 years old, I was a kid. You know, it's, it's 86, so it's funny that you said that. For, first of all, where did you get stationed out first? Well, I was in the academy first, which is on 20th Street in Lower Manhattan, Gramercy Park, and then when I got... When I graduated, I was assigned to what was then called, um, there was 18 of them representing the 18 divisions in the police department throughout the city. And I was assigned to NSU 18, which was covered the 
um, South Jamaica area. Okay. The 103, 105, 113, those precincts. That's what we call them. And the um, NSU, well, NSU stood for Neighborhood Stabilization Unit. Really what it is, it's just a unit, and they put a bunch of people, rookies, who are all the same level of experience. Walking the beat? Yeah, that's it. Two-man foot posts. They go down the roster alphabetically. You don't get to choose your partner. You don't get to choose your real estate. You're out. This is who you go. That's it. Here you go. That's it. You two, you got this foot post here, two-man foot post. And, um, you know, you walk the beat. And that was during the time when New York City was trying to recover. But it wasn't yet. No. It was a bad place. No, and the was. reason why, you know, it's funny that you just mm-hmm. said that because what I was the next question I was going to say to you is, or bring up to you, I just went into the city over the weekend with my girlfriend, right? right? So we went, we used to go in the city all the time and it was, we loved it. It was it was great. And then it just became a shithole again, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And, and the first thing that we always say to each other is, it feels like it was like the 80s. It's like the 80s again, right? how it is. And can if you could, just explain how the city was in the 80s when you first got there. Well, it was, it was a tough place to work um, in that we were, the way it was explained to us in the academy, and I saw it too growing up as a kid. I was in the city in the 70s and 80s. My pop worked in Manhattan. We would go in there with him, you know, from times a day at work with dad kind of thing, or... Uh, they would have events and parties for the company, and we would go in. And we'd always see, or go, we go to a game at the garden or something. And we would always, we would see the quality of life. We're like, wow, this is pretty freaking bad. <laughs> Homeless people everywhere, you know, uh, crime, this and that. And and I remember those days, and I remember being in the academy, and our instructors telling us that, listen, the '70s happened. It was bad, really bad. There was crime, there was you know poor quality of life in the city, and we're trying to claw that back now. And you guys, meaning us and the graduating academy class coming up, uh, you're gonna be charged with, to a degree, with recapturing the city and getting the city back to where it was pre-1970s. And um, we're like, wow, that's a big responsibility. We were kids, all of us. We were young. I was 20, 20, guys are 20, 21, 23, 24, 25. You know, Knowing really absolutely we nothing. We were kids. Yeah, we did. I grew up on Long Island. I didn't know shit. Nothing. But I knew about the city, but I didn't know about uh, being in the city as you a You didn't know about drug addicts. Cop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shooting yeah. up on the corner. Yeah. Homeless people you know, in the right. street. I never saw anybody shot and killed before. I yeah. didn't see any of that. I mean, we took a trip to the morgue in the academy, but it was just dead people, you know, the aftermath. But you get there as it's going on. Sometimes even when it was happening, you saw it, and it was that's how crazy it was. But we were charged with taking the city back. And there was a time, as it was explained to us, that in the 80, early 80s, there was some turnaround coming until the crack epidemic came in until crack hit the scene. Who was the mayor at that time in 86? 86 was Mayor Koch. Koch. Yeah, so he was he was a liberal, but he was a classic liberal. He wasn't a bad guy. He liked his, he loved his cops. You know, if you got injured or some cop got hurt or it was in the hospital, he would make his, you know, get his entourage together and say, come on, we're going to the hospital to see this cop, make sure he's okay and see if his family needs anything. So he was pretty good that way. Um, but there was just all these leftover liberal policies and just, you know, ineptness and this just lethargy in city administration and in the public to a degree because they just lost faith in the administration. They lost faith in, faith in the police department. They lost faith in all the entities and agencies that were 
charged with maintaining the quality of life in New York City. And they just, people just threw their hands up. You saw there was almost like this surrender attitude. But we got out there and when it went from almost kind of coming back to, boom, right down this steep incline into the abyss when crack hit the scene. And crack was, crack central, if you will, was J Jamaica, where I work, South Jamaica. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's where it was kind of invented or developed and it was sold there. Like anybody who, there wasn't big time drug dealers or crack dealers there who ran these empires there. Guys like uh, guy, Fat Cat Nichols, this guy named Prince. And these guys are some bad dudes and they ran this cocaine, crack cocaine empire in that area of, of, of the city. And I remember there were shootings left and right. I mean, assaults and drive-bys and things. And these, and they were all drug dealers, you know, young kids getting shot and killed, you know, um, and injured because they were vying for street corners and territories and it was very competitive and everybody started getting into the business because they were making bank on this stuff. It was nuts. Oh, so they're I, making a killing. Yeah, it, it was it was terrible. Yeah, they were making, I mean, it, at the expense of, you know, I mean, you go to any area that was where this blight was, it was horrible. I mean, so you literally were on the scene yeah. before crack mm -hmm. and then crack. No, no, we, we got into it. Crack probably hit around 84, 1984. It was two years into it. So you're really primed yeah, into it now. The war was, we call it the, we call it the crack wars because it was really churning by then. It was like fully active and churning and, and there was a lot of blood and you, there was no shortage of bodies on the street. You wouldn't, I, I remember my rookie time there, six, seven months, I saw more dead bodies than you, uh, than some guy seeing a war zone. It was insane. Really? Just what? Yeah. Like sitting on a park bench? No, no, not even that. Not, not even from the, you know, maybe some overdoses here and there, but mostly from these drug dealers competing for territory. And they would shoot and kill each other. You know, they would shoot and kill like some, they would, a drug dealer would send out three or four minions on a street corner. You guys sell in this corner. And then another drug dealer who wants to compete for that same corner, you know, they would go over and just shoot these guys and kill them. Get it's amazing how people could just, yeah. you know, just kill someone. Yep. You know, just end someone's life For without money. even thinking yeah. Yeah. twice about it just because, like you said, for mm -hmm. a street corner. Yep, for money. It was all about money. Money, and with that money came power. You got to remember where it was. It was in, you know, some seriously depressed areas of the city, ghettos. A lot of these kids never saw that much money. If you stopped and arrested some of these kids for dr dealing drugs, they would have a lot of cash on them that would, like, could choke a hippo. It was unbelievable. But the difference between arresting someone for drugs mm -hmm. back then and now. Oh, yeah. Because we're saying difference. how bad, you know, we're comparing right. how bad the city is from, say, the 80s to what right now. Mm -hmm. At least there was a deterrence. Right. If you got caught, if we arrest you, you might spend the night, who knows, until you right. can get bailed out. Right. Now well, it's the complete opposite. No, it is. And, and then if you did a hand-to-hand -hand drug sale with narcotics, if I just handed you, if I even just handed you without even any money, and that constitutes a sale, at least it used to in New York. I don't know if that's changed too, but with this new bail reform, but if I handed you, you walked up to me in the street and you know me as Joe Crack Dealer and I hand you Joe Cozzo, a vial of crack that would constitute a sale. That exchange on my part as sell, giving it to you as a sale was a B felony. Still is, yeah. Is, yeah, which is pretty serious. Yeah, of course, especially yeah. with the intent. Right, and if you get arrested and you go to trial or you get caught doing that enough, B felony is gonna put you in prison for a couple of years. Yes. So it was serious enough then, yes. They they took it, I think they took it a lot more serious, serious more serious then. Um, one, because 
you know, the laws were in effect, and there, there was beginning, you were beginning to feel a lot of mounting pressure from, from community groups and from, you know, parents and from um, legislators, local, like, you know, city council people on, on law enforcement and on the state legislature to really, you know, start enforcing more of these laws or creating better laws that would, you know, allow them to be, allowed us to be more, um, I don't want to say creative. I hate that term in law enforcement. Creative implies like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, but like, but to, to allow us to do our job and get these people off the street and improve the quality of life, that was the end game. How do you, uh, are you retired now? I'm retired, yeah. How retired long have you been retired for? One year, almost a year. Almost Actually, a year. April 8th was my, of last year was my last day. Ah, so then, so, so then this question does apply to you. So, being in, in in law enforcement for all those years, mm -hmm. and then to see what how law enforcement was viewed during the George Floyd, right, you know, era, mm -hmm. so to speak, which yeah. was during COVID, right. How did that make you feel as a cop working all those years and seeing people and helping people and doing what right. you know what you were doing, and then all of a sudden like that, it looked it just, it seemed like the whole nation right. turned. On, on cops. Yeah, it did. It was like, we're public enemy number one. Uh, what happened with that George Floyd thing was, was horrific. I mean, that cop knelt in that guy's neck for like eight, nine minutes. I mean, come on. My day, and I remember this, and I, and I, I think a lot of cops out there listening to this podcast would echo, would echo this sentiment too and agree with me that, you know, you have a scene like that. You arrest a guy. He's on the ground. To, you know, he fought, and he got put in the ground and handcuffed. And now when you do that, Sometimes you're going to cause a crowd to gather. People are going to be, what are you doing? Why are you treating him that way? Why is he on the ground? Best thing you could have, you could do, and the best thing they could have done and should have done is he's handcuffed, he's on the ground. You had a couple of empty police cruisers sitting there, a police car sitting there. Get that guy's ass off the ground. Get him into an ambulance if you need to or get him into the back of a police car. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, but they tried to do yeah. that first. Yeah. They tried, and he would, you know, they, they put him in first, and then he started kicking and right. going crazy. And that's when that cop, Chauvin, came. Right. Derek Chauvin came, and then came through the other side. I believe it was right. the driver's side. And then that's how he he opened the door and he started kicking, and then he right. got down to the ground. Got it. So my question would be this then is mm -hmm. when you have the guy down to the ground and he's been a resisting goes in through the back of the cruiser right. then comes out what do you do next well you sit let him sit there do you call for more backups you know what what, what do you do well, i could tell you what we would have done whether it was new york city or nassau county i mean if you had a crowd gathering like that it's best you just get out of there because only bad more bad things are gonna especially happen. now with cameras you know, yeah, cell phones yeah. well, and everything. not even the camera aspect of it just bad things can happen i mean you know you get a big enough crowd you know there's there's always more people than there are cops so there's always going to be and literally so there's always there's going to be that situation where you get surrounded i've been there it's not a pleasant experience and afterwards, you know, you look and say, wow, we should have got out of there sooner. This wasn't good because we got surrounded by a large group. And, you know, then the cavalry comes in and kind of saves the day. But with something like that, I mean, what I would have done, um, I mean, it's I don't want to Monday Monday quarterback these guys, but they, it, it's a hard thing. But if there's a situation like that, I would have probably said, just get him in the car. You sit in the back and sit in this guy if you have to on his legs or whatever so he doesn't kick and thrash around. And let's just get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know, I know, but the whole thing can. again was is yeah. trying to get him in there. And the guy was right. a big guy. Yeah, he was. Six, he was six a foot big seven. Guy. I know, I know. So that could be problematic. You know, something that you just said, too, that I, I think, you know, I'm not a cop and I've never, I, you know, I shot a gun a few times. Mm -hmm. 
But you sit there and say, yeah, you know, it's a position you don't want to be in when there is so many people surrounding you. There's more right. people than cops. And you, you know, some people say, well, you got a gun. I think that makes it even worse. It does. Yeah, you got to start shooting in the crowd. Or yeah, now what do you do? You're, you're, no, you're going gonna to invite more trouble and, and disaster. No, you don't want to do that. But, yeah. It's, I mean, uh, we've been in situations where we've been surrounded uh, in arrest situation, and the guy you're arresting knows that he's going to stir the crowd up and get people going if he acts a certain way. You know, I, uh, he yells, I can't breathe. I can't. I mean, I've seen this happen, you know, en enough to know. And that's the idea to get the crowd ginned up enough where maybe they get brazen enough where they start throwing bottles, maybe make a grab for a cop's gun or try and, you know, pull the prisoner away from from the cops. I, we've seen all I've seen all that happen. Uh, it doesn't end well for anyone. Yeah, uh, people get hurt. People get locked up. It's it's a terrible situation, including cops. We get we, you know, cops get injured, too. We don't want that either. Um, is that why you is that why you left is that why you retired because of what was going on with George Floyd did, did you want to stay in maybe more or is it because of what was going on you had the time in the pension mm -hmm. maybe you know and you're like you know what it doesn't pay it does, it's not that it doesn't pay it's not worth it right well that's a great question and that was part of my decision the other part was a friend of mine told me maybe about six months before I really pulled the plug. I, I actually re retired a few times. I put my papers in, and then I pulled them back. Oh, you did? Yeah, I was just like, I can't do this now. What am I? And then I had this discussion with a guy I used to work with. His name is Mike. I won't say his last name, but his name is Mike. I give him credit for really helping me you know, take that step into retirement. Is his name Mike Dowd? No, not Mike Dowd. No, okay. no nothing to do with that guy. <laughs> but, but he said something I'll never forget. He says that you have more good years behind you now than you do in front of you and i never thought of retirement that way because i'm 50 i'm 56 and i was 55 when i retired you know i have my best friend who just told me and it's funny that you said that yeah. he said it very similar to that right he says and he's the same age i'm 48 he's the mm -hmm. same age as me he goes he's like dude do you know we have you know more days behind us than mm -hmm. we do ahead yeah and you put that in perspective, and right. it starts to really, you know, say, well, what the fuck am I doing worrying about this? Or why am I making such a big deal about that? And, right. You know, it, it really, because life just goes. It does, yeah. You it know? does. It and, does. And, it's, and it's, it's a scary thought to think when, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm just going to keep constantly living in the past, mm -hmm. it doesn't do you any good. No. It doesn't do anything. One of the questions I have for you about being a cop, what would be the biggest lesson you learned? If you had to look back at your years as a law enforcement, what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned sitting here today? Biggest lesson, engage the brain first before the mouth. Because sometimes your mouth gets you in more trouble. And you, Actually, said that yeah, in the, and yeah. you say that in your book. I do, yeah, I do. And it's, it's uh, John Adams talking mm -hmm. to Benjamin Franklin. Right. And he says, "Well, what, what do you what do you mean? You don't like to?" Yeah, he said it was a it was a that series John Adams, and I saw that on HBO. exchange yeah, between the two actors, and and I think it was Tom Atkinson and John and uh, Paul Giamatti with the car with the the actors, but um, I'm pretty sure I know Giamatti definitely. The other guy, I'm pretty sure. Was yeah, I, I, I agree. But it was an interesting exchange, and they 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 were in a pub, and they just came from the Philadelphia. Um, um, convention, state house, yeah, convention, yeah. right? I think it was, and he said, "Well, M Mr. Franklin, don't you, 
believe in saying what you think? And he goes, no, I'm very much against it. And he didn't hesitate to say that. I found that interesting. He didn't like, well, no. He was like, no, absolutely not. I don't. I think it's just the cause of more misery of mankind for yes. people speaking aloud and think, saying what they think. And I'm like, you know what, to a degree that's true, I think. But yeah, you know what? I, I mean, it's a tough act to walk in law enforcement when, especially when you're young, you come into the business as young. Sometimes, you know, you get that, you know, that, cocky swagger you're like you're a cop now you have all this power you have a badge yeah you got a badge gun and you have all this you don't power. have to worry about it you get your friends come in the car while you're driving no yeah. big deal if we get pulled over yeah. you're safe with yeah. me kind of thing it, it was one of those yeah it's that bravado and that you know and you're young and you, you're given all this power so sometimes you get a little ahead of yourself at a scene or a call and sometimes when you open your mouth sometimes you get a little into trouble because you're or cause trouble that you, that really wasn't there or was taken care of before you got there by another cop or cops and you show up you know as backup and then you start mouthing off and then things go to shit and i mean i've been on calls where um actually i learned this afterward when one time i opened my mouth and it just everything went to shit at one time um when i was young and then Subsequent to that, I can't tell you how long after, but I went on a call with a couple of seasoned veterans. They walked in, and the both of them looked at us like, what are you doing here? And one of them came over to me and said, this is our call. I said, yeah, no, I'm just backing up. He goes, you want to learn? I said, yeah. He goes, sit there, shut your fucking mouth, don't say a word. Our call. We make the call. You see something dangerous or crazy, say something. If not, you got nothing to say. Interesting. Yes, sir. That you was got it. it. Oh, it's good for me, too. Yeah, I was great that. information. It was great. It was a great lesson. But, yeah, that was probably the one thing that... One of the first real lessons I remember is just engage the brain before you engage the mouth. And I would tell rookies that I trained um, over the years, not as a not in the NYPD so much, um, but in Nassau, when I came to Nassau County, it was I worked on patrol and where everybody starts. And I became a field training officer, FTO they called it. Oh, you transferred sure. to Nassau County? I did, yeah, ninety five. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's where the money's at. Uh, well, yeah, the money was good, and, and absolutely, they weren't shooting at you as much. And no, people were pretty nice, so it was good. Yeah, it's like Club a, Med of the cops. It was great. It was great. It was. A, I, I'm so grateful I came out here and had this great career. But, um, but when I was training these new guys. Uh, out here, I'd always tell them, I said, look, you know, you got to the academy, you're all jacked up, you know, yesterday you were working at McDonald's and today now you're carrying a badge and a gun and you're, you got all this power and access to all this crazy equipment and toys they give you and, and all that. And it's a lot of fun, you know, and that was good. We wanted, I wanted these new jacks to be, um, to a degree jacked up and ready to go and be enthusiastic about doing the job. That's part of being a cop. You yeah, know, absolutely. The, the, you know, the, the taxpaying public. I'd want a police force that's interested in engaging and enthusiastic about doing their job, being proactive and being out there. But you kind of had to pull the reins back on some of these guys and girls because they were ready to roll and just be set loose on, a, as I put in the book, an unsuspecting public. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, look, they were good. But but one of the, the first things I would teach them is that, look, you know, there's a few things in life that get you into trouble. You know, one of them is the, your, your your hands. Next is your mouth, and usually third is your stupid friends. But your mouth is one of those things that's going to get you into trouble. I said that that'll either, you know, help you out in a call and smooth things over, or you know, it'll go from something that was kind of shit to total shit yeah, in a matter of quick. seconds. Yeah. So you got to watch what you say to people. It doesn't, you know. Talk to us about then 
the book. Did the, you, is this something? And again, it's the hungry young man. Right. Okay. Is this something that you wrote after you retired? Is this something that you were thinking about? You know, you're driving in your yeah. cruiser, you're sitting at the desk, and you're yeah. always thinking about. I mean, it's. Mm. Well, how about this? What made you want to write the hungry man? Hungry, hungry, hungry young, young man. man. Um, what made you want to do that? Well. It, it's a great question. There's a lot of questions in that question, which I'm going to answer them all because it's a great, um, uh, it's a good setup. So what what made me want to write it was just looking around, mostly at myself and seeing a lot of things that I screwed up in life. This is mostly later in life. And just to give you, the, I, I want to before I get to that, I should tell you the backstory behind the book and how it came about. But yeah, yeah, it's exactly the, what I, I, I want to know. Oh, okay. I didn't, so, I, so when you're, yeah, so how does this, how does this thought, you know, how does that plant, that seed plant into your brain that say, you know what, I think, you know, I, I think this would be a good book to write. Right. I actually, to answer that question, I, it, I didn't intend for this book to ever come about. And that sounds like an odd, an odd answer, but I'll, I'll explain. Well, what is the book first? Tell everybody well, what the, the book's, book's about. about. The book is about my desire to make men, mostly younger men, but the hungry young man, the, the, the actual title is kind of a play on words too, which has a great explanation uh, to it. But it's kind of a play on words. The the My intent behind the book was to make men, young and older, more responsible, more accountable, more reliable, and just live a life of excellence to the best of their abilities with their talents and God-given gifts. That's That was the intent behind the book. The title, The Hungry Young Man, means that the, it's kind of a play on words, but the hunger or the hungry part is I believe that men are hungry. I think mostly younger men are hungry for ideas. They're starving for ideas that would set them on a path where they can be more responsible, accountable, and reliable and live a good life. Uh, the young man part addresses the younger men that I want to capture, but also addresses the older guys, like that 50-year-old guy who never had a job girlfriend and living at, uh, in, in his mother's basement, you know, in an apartment. We all have a couple of those friends, right? Yeah, and they don't have any real responsibilities. They may not be young in age, but to me, they're young in mind and young in spirit and young in, you know, a lot of other ways that you wouldn't expect a 50-year-old man to be. Why do you think that kind of guy right there, right, a 50-year-old right. man, still living in his mother's basement. Why is that guy doing that as opposed to say you living your life? What's the difference between those two guys? Well, the difference that stands out to me first and foremost, he never had anyone in his life, whether it was his mom, dad, or an older male figure, to give him a kick in the ass and say, no, no, come on, get the fuck out, go get a job, take, some on, take on some responsibility, you know, go find a girlfriend, do something with your life, get it, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, do something of of meaning. Challenge yourself, you know, in some way. Some way that you haven't done before. Push a the father envelope. figure in your life that actually... Yeah, whether it's a father figure. Even, even you know, I a lot of what's in this book, you know, I love my parents in, to death. My mom, a lot of what's in this book too also. She, you know, my mom was tough. She, you know, old, older I mean, um, Italian lady, kind of old school in her thinking and ways. And I noticed that in your book that you that you dedicated the book to them first. They right, were the first my people parents. that. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for and them. And then you did so, your grandparents. Yeah. Right, my grandparents on yeah. both sides. My mm -hmm. aunt and my my great uncle in Italy, um, Zio Natali. For the record, I never met the guy, but 
I read a lot of what a lot of his readings, and I heard a lot from my because he passed away. I think he was 98 when he passed away in Italy. Not from old age or sickness. He fell and hit his head. He would have lived to probably imagine his, that. Behind, yeah, with well, the irony behind that. But talking to my cousins over there when I went to visit them, they said that he was. Um, in the book, I even say he was a man of, of study. He loved to write, and he loved to have just engage in interesting conversation about life, about writing, about really any topic, you know, social, economic, political topic. He was a well-schooled man, uh, and he did it all on his own. You know, I think he worked for the railroad for like 30-something years. That guy right there, that type of man, is right. totally different than the men that we're seeing today. Would oh, you agree with that? Absolutely. So, absolutely. Let's, so let's get into the book a little bit right. then. So. First of all, the title, The mm -hmm. Hungry Young Man. Right. right. Love the title. Thank you. What was it that you were, I know you're saying, this is how I took it mm -hmm. when I started reading the book, right? right? It wasn't as much as you trying to tell people how to be responsible. It was almost more, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and maybe because I came into it, what's going on in today's world was how to be a man's man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a real man. Right. You know, somebody that, you know, will walk in with, you know, dirt under their nails. With somebody that will tell their son, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Slapping right. me in the head a little bit here and there. Right. Whatever it may be, mm -hmm. but a real man's man. Right. Because you talk about you have lessons, mm -hmm. right, that you are trying to portray to these men. Right. Right. I, I don't think that this this is a female book. No, uh, but this, I do I, I do leave a small, you know, portion in the book, a very small um not to minimize women, of course, or, and knock them down, but I mean, they, uh, I recognize women in the book, um, in the beginning, in the intro, where that if you're a woman and you're reading this book, I say, welcome, thank you yeah. for picking the book up, having the courage to read this, and maybe, you know, a man in your life, maybe a boyfriend, fiance, maybe even your dad that needs a kick in the ass, say, dad, read this book, I read it, or, you know, boyfriend, or my fiance, whoever, read the book. Or you know, maybe even make maybe she's man. a single yeah. parent yeah. and the father is absent. Right. And she says, well, what does a man need in his life growing up? Right. What type of discipline? What type of, you know, punishment? So whatever it may be, a right. lesson, like you say, lessons. Right. Well, I, I use lessons. I'm glad you touched on that. Not to pull away from the, what we're talking about now, but the, the lessons. I saw this format in a book I read a while back and I liked it. Because if you have a chapter, you say chapter one, chapter two, it has like, like the connotation of like, oh, you're studying a freaking chemistry book, you know, and it's like you're taking on this task, you don't want to, you know, like it's just boring, you're studying. I don't want to give that impression. I wanted to keep it, you know, everything short, concise, um, and I think lessons to me connotate like there's something that is here. You can learn from this. It's engaging. It's something that's going to pull you in, and you're going to learn something from this that you can use. You know, well, I, I even tell the reader, like in the book, this is your book. This is your guide. Yes. This is something that you're not going to just read once and throw away. Mark it up. Write, you know, write in the margins. Highlight the damn thing. Do what you want. It's yours. It's your that's guide. why. Yeah. That's why I like what you did with the lessons. Because here's the thing: after reading it the first time, if I want to go back and touch up, mm -hmm. right? Let, we'll just give the, the first one is confidence, right? right? If I feel like I'm lacking that in right. my life at some time after reading this book, I could always, I know right away, okay, confidence is what I need to do. Go right. back. Right. You do another one with apologies. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I yep. catch myself saying sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. That drives me nuts, man. Yeah, but I'm saying <laughs> I like the way you did that because it gives the reader an opportunity after reading the book right. to freshen up. Right. 
to touch back and yep. go back and say, I don't need to read the first three chapters because no. I feel good with that. But I'm going right. to read, you know, the fourth lesson or the 30th lesson. I believe it's 48 lessons, correct? 48, yeah, 48. Yeah. So let's talk about lesson, the first lesson. Why was it in lesson number one? How did you come to that being number one out of everything? I think that is the most important overall, and I write it in here, and the overall arching quality uh, for a man is confidence. Without confidence, really, essentially, not everything in this book doesn't mean anything, but a lot of what's in this book doesn't mean much if you don't have that confidence. You don't have that good foundation. And I even use the metaphor in the book about your confidence being like a fortress. You need that. A man needs that. Everyone needs confidence, but a man needs that, especially a younger man. They need that confidence now. And in a world now where I, I think and I believe, in my opinion, that a lot of men are minimized by media, um, by academia. Um, but you know. why? Why do you think that? Why do you think that it was okay to raise a right. man's man? Mm hmm let's just say in the 80s, the 70s, whatever, right. you grew up in the late 60s, well, I grew right, up, 60s? Yeah, mostly the 70s, 70s, 70s though, 80s, but I'm saying yeah. you were born in, the, yeah. er, in, in mm -hmm. the middle of 60s, so your childhood was in the 70s, and I mean, it was, first of all, I didn't even, I never even heard of the word mm -hmm. transgender. Yeah, no, neither did I. You I, know? I never heard of that. That was just, I mean, you heard about those things, you know, like, you had like, you know, oh, this guy's a, you heard the term transvestite. We also transvestite. Rocky Horror Picture transvestite. Show. Transvestite. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Difference, yeah. but you know, there were guys who were like uh, friends of mine would say, "Oh yeah, the guy." You know, uh, this movie we saw, the guy thought he was a woman, and I'm like, "All right, that's a little freaking weird, but that's all right." And whatever, you know. Yeah, it's saw, entertainment. You know, it is what yeah, it is, and that's and the end we of didn't, it. You know, there wasn't this um, this fringe um, minority of people that were were um, forcing. Like what's going on in Disney now? I mean, that's that's incredible. They have a, a very small group of people that are foisting their beliefs and ideas and ideologies on the rest of humanity. Yeah, but <laughs> take it to, for take it to what you're saying is, is yeah. you basically have this small group of right. people, right? right? You could say that transgenders mm -hmm. or right. are a, min a minority group of people. Mm -hmm. But now Disney, what they're doing is. Yeah. They're going to, and I believe that I, 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 if I read it correctly, that they're going to implement more right. of that ideology into their movies, which then are going to be watched to 365 million people just here in the United States. Right. Or should I say kids? So whatever, maybe 100 million kids. Yeah, a lot of people are going to pull back to and say, we're not, we're not going to do this. I mean, I think right now, I think they're offering 40% off of their, their tickets now to Disney because people just said, we're, we're canceling our vacation. We're not going to be a part of this. We don't want, I'm raising children. I'm, I'm a Midwestern blue-collar guy who saved all year to take a trip to Disney on the Easter break. I'm going to put up with this. But, I come here to get away from this stuff. I yeah. don't want to do this. You, you know, there's an old saying about <clears throat> when you start to politicize things, you know, if you add politics to essentially anything, even to this bottle of water, you know what you get? You get politics is what you get. You no yeah. longer have the bottle of water. You no longer have the innocence of Disney and that escapism that people look for, whether it's Disney or professional sports. You know, when you insert politics into the well, you end up getting politics. And, and that's what happened. I, and I believe aside. that's what happened yeah. also with sports, like you're saying. Yeah. With the whole Black Lives Matter yeah. and everything. I and, agree. And the George Floyd. And mm -hmm. it just becomes just, now we're not really watching it for the entertainment. We're watching, let's see what they're going to do to see if they're going to represent this right. 
this cause or this belief or whatever it is, and it takes away from the game. It does. It takes away from, you know, again, what people, you know, on a Sunday, you're, you're looking forward to the game. You're looking forward to the game because it's your vicarious escape into the the ether of the NFL and football into that into those places where you like you know you feel like well I can forget about life for a little while and just get in there and watch the game and sit down with my friends in the den have a few beers kick back and yeah you know talk shit and and have a good time with the guys that was the essence of football I mean the essence of sports and and the idea behind going to Disney and other places like that you know fantasy just an escape park right to get away from but now people are just being confront you know confronted with the stuff and it's in your face and they just try and it's but why? Like, why do you think that? So for somebody that is writing a book about a right. man being becoming mm-hmm. a man, why do you think in 2022 being a real like a man's man mm-hmm. is now terrible? Well, because you're viewed as a threat. Because you stand up, you, you're viewed. If you stand up, you speak the truth, and you implement some of the you know a lot of the lessons in this book, you know, in my book, you know, about being confident, you've or, or being you know financially responsible, or being decisive, being anything that is overtly masculine, you are viewed as a threat. Not by everyone, but by certain in certain circles, you know, feminism. Is one of those things. A lot of people in the trans community are like that. And I'm not bashing these people. I don't, and I, I don't want to come off as being like one of these guys who's like a bully and a jerk. I'm not. You know, but, you know, as much as you well, may why be... why can't you represent the group no, that no, you represent? Is, I'm is, saying this though, is what I, this is my next point, is that, yeah. you know, as, as much as you want to have a voice for your cause, I don't believe I have a cause. You know, I have ideas and I have opinions and they're in this book. But, you know... I have a right just as you do to stand up and say, hey, you know what? No, I disagree with you. I think what you're doing is wrong. I think it's misguided. I'm a man. I want to be a man. That's it. This is what I was born to be. I'm comfortable being this way just as you're comfortable being who you are and what you're doing. Leave me alone. Yeah. And I'll leave you alone. Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. I'll, I'll bother you. you won't bother, don't bother me. But it doesn't work that way with a lot of these people. This is like the fringe. This is all part of like the fringe left. And... And who they are. They just, you know, you're either viewed, I think Ben Shapiro said this best with the fringe left is that you're, well, not the fringe, the hard left is that you're either viewed as an obstruction or a tool. They'll never leave you alone because you're always going to be one of those things in their view. Yeah. And there's no getting away from that. So you are going to be either a tool to help them further their agenda or agendas, or you're going to be viewed as an obstruction. Oh, he's a look at that guy. He's he, look at the way he walks. He's way too confident and too masculine. We can't have that. I'm sorry. He needs to be knocked down a peg. We need to do something to him to make him change his ways and see things our way, because our way is the and their arrogance is the only way. That's just how the left is. It, it's 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 crazy that you even say that because it's real that it actually is yeah. happening. And and I think what you said before is because. They want to knock you down, or they're you know maybe in fear right. of your superiority. Well, it, it is, it, it is, and I, and I don't look. I I say this to people. I I I am I am who I am. You know, I, you may think of me as an asshole, or think of me as being, you know, um, maybe too cocky or confident. Look, I, have I made mistakes in the past and, and said and did and did stupid shit? Yeah, I have. You know, have I been too arrogant sometimes? Yeah, I have. I have. I admit that. Have I been too cocky? Maybe a little ahead of myself in certain things? Yeah, I have. I've done stupid things. I think we all have. I'm not saying that as an excuse, but I have. Um, but I also know who I am. 
and what I want to be and what I would like to see other young men become. You know, we need strong men in the world. Well, it was built. This country was built. Yeah. Well, and, the world was the world built, was built by, by on str- strong by, men. Right, by strong men. And, and the idea that, you know, that a strong man is, is you know, um, an indicator of someone who's a chauvinist or puts women aside and makes them second-class citizens. Nothing like, nothing, you know, that's, you know, Jordan Peterson, I think he said something that was very interesting that, that I believe to be absolutely true is that civilization has always been men and women working together in some form of partnership. To some get, type of harmony. Right, to continue the propagation of the species. That's what, that's really, in, in essence, what, you know, civilization is. We have to keep that going. Have been have women been wronged in certain societies? Yeah, they're still being wronged in some societies today, like in, in some Islamic mm-hmm. theocracies. They're being, they can't drive, they can't own cars, they can't, can't get educated. Yeah, can't yeah you it. can't go to school. You can't be out of the house without a male escort. You can't have three women together in any one place in a public setting, talking or together in period without a male escort. You know, I mean, these are all like, these things really happen. And if you break the rules, you know, there's severe punishment. There's stoning. There's whipping. I've seen extreme things like they get locked in cages, burned to death, yes. drowned. I mean, Absolutely. these are some pretty horrific things. I mean, the extreme, and thank God, not the you know the majority of things. But yeah, I believe it's always been you know working, you know working together. You have to. I mean, you know, it, it, there were things they talked about in Europe during the, the you know some of the the many wars that were fought in Europe over the years, where. The women stayed home, and the men went out to fight. And there are some people that think that's terrible. It's chauvinistic, stereotypical. I'm like, well, no, it really isn't. I mean, men are generally bigger and stronger. They go fight the wars. The women stay behind. They cared for the family. You know, they did the hunting, some of the hunting and gathering, and they they kept the, the home base or the homestead going. But that, you know, and that's that's life. Hey, but that's a good thing. It's so not yeah, a bad thing. Yeah, it's not thing a bad either. thing. No, it's not. Of it's course, not you can have the strongest people that go out there and, and hunt, fight, yes, and fight, right, and right. protect your freedom. Right. I mean, again, that's what this whole country was based off of. Of right. how this, the foundation of it, right. was the men. They went out and they fought, and the women, they had just as big as a role as keeping this country intact right. by protecting the family, you're, you're keeping s- things going. You're seeing that in your, Ukraine now, you're seeing all these refugees from Ukraine going into Poland, Russia, I think Belarus and other parts of, the, of Europe. They're all women and children. Where are the men? There yeah. are none. They're staying behind and they're fighting. They're fighting for their country and their freedom yeah. and their survival. Tell me about the confidence, though. If, if, so if you have a, a young teenager or you know a young man in his mm-hmm. early 20s, whatnot, and he's lacking confidence, right? What, what, what would you suggest to someone like that? Or even in the 50s, to whatever. Right. Well, when somebody's I'm, losing, their, when, when somebody feels like they're lacking confidence, what are things that someone can do to change that? Immediately, I would. Well, I would want to talk to the person. If they came to me, so listen, I read your book, and can you help me? I'm like, all right, well, let's sit and talk. What's the matter? Like, what do you, what do you feel you're lacking in? You know, um, you know, do you? If the guy says, well, I, I'm. Look at me. I'm like, you know, 50 pounds overweight. I, you know, I don't dress well. And I mean, I touch on all this. And you talk section. about the yeah. overweight thing, right? I touch it in two in two areas. Yeah. Actually, probably a couple, a couple more than that, maybe. No, this, yeah, definitely in confidence. That was one of the things I talk about is the controllables. I would say start with the things you can control about yourself. You're not doing this, you know, it's not something outside yourself. It's something you're doing it for you. You mm-hmm. know, you're changing how you eat. You're changing, you're losing weight. You're going to look better. You're going to feel better when you lose weight because you're going to look better. It's so um, true. Yeah. Every time mm-hmm. that I've gained weight, right, 
and then you lose the weight and you start seeing it. Your confidence just goes through the roof. It does. And when yeah. you're not, when you, you when you feel, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Who is that? How yeah. did this happen? You start, you start thing becoming like an introvert. You start right. not wanting to go out. Like, you know, you know, there's points in my life that I don't want to take my shirt off at the pool. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take my shirt off at the beach. Right. You know, that's not a confident no, person. That's no. somebody that's now worrying about what everybody else is thinking about them. Right. 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 Yeah. So you know, I, and I and I agree with you. I once you once I saw lesson number one being right. confidence. Confidence is everything. Right. Well, it's number one for a reason. I put it number one. Everything else I could have put in any other order, really. But confidence to me was no, was number one because again, it's that without that strong base. That you have, you know, without that strong base of confidence, that that foundation, that strong fortress, that edifice, without that powerful thing, you know, you you know, you have nothing to build on. What you, are you going to build on? You talk about a, um, you know, it's funny that you say this too. You talk about a handshake, mm -hmm. right? That's a yep. man's yep. thing. Yep. A, a handshake, a real. Uh, yep. uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's something that men. You know, when, right. when you see someone, you shake their hand and, right. and whatnot. And I'm not saying females don't. They have their way no, of doing right, things, too. Right. But, you know, a lot of times you'll see females that are friends with each other. They'll kiss each other hello. As when a man, hey, what's up? Hey, they yeah, grab, they right. pull them in and they give them a hug or whatever. Right. But that's the extent of it. But you talk about handshake. Right. Why is that so important? It is. I mean, look, I, I, I say in the book that a handshake is your lead-in or your front man. When you come into, like in here, we all walked into the studio. I wasn't going to walk in like, oh, hi, how you doing? Yeah, you didn't throw out like a, a dead fish or a cold dish mop, you know, and say, yeah, hi, how you doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, that's we all know, say, yeah, we do know, yeah. everybody knows someone. Wet like rag, that. you right. say, I think, in the book. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, no, I'm not doing that. I, and I never would tell someone to do that. And if I saw, if I shook someone's hand who wanted to meet me to talk about the book or how to build their confidence and they, they shook my hand like that, I'll be like, the fuck out of here. I said, first thing you're going to do is work on your handshake. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else can wait. It's important. There's something that should be instilled in every young man. Good, firm handshake. It does convey It does convey a message to anyone's hand you're shaking. Another man, older, younger, it conveys a message. And I believe the message that's conveyed is that I'm confident, I'm strong, not physically maybe, but also mentally and spiritually strong. And you know, you have a sense about you that, hey, you know what you want, you're confident. You walk in this room, you shook my hand like a man, you squeeze my hand. You don't have to crush a guy's hand. I forgot to put that in the book where you don't want to make it a competition like everyone, you know, guys do that. They'll have like, you know, vice grips. And <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes sometimes yeah. you sit there and say, well, that guy overdid it. Yeah, like, you, you know what I mean? That guy's a little bit too right. much. You don't want to overdo it. Probably, I think I wrote in the, unedited version of the book I think you should your handshake is should last about as long as it says as it takes to say handshake you know maybe a second and a half yeah. maybe at that so you just convey that message that hey look you know I'm strong confident and I'm here and uh, you know hey let's take another thing business. too though is, yeah. and, and I noticed this and I noticed this in, I, I watched a movie the other night and I forgot what movie it was but there was two men mm -hmm. that we're in a little bit of a disagree. Oh no, no, actually, I did. It was a Kurt Warner. Did you see this documentary yet? No, I haven't. About the football player, right? Kurt Warner. Yeah, I heard about yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So it was we, really good. It was good. It's um, it's not an AA movie, right? You know, it's 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 a little bit under an A, like a B, but okay. really, really great. The message is great. It's based on a true story of Kurt Warner right. and how he became who he is. You know, he's shopping. He was uh, bagging groceries yep. at one point, and then gets called, but. His wife has two kids in a prior, whatever, marriage or whatever, and he's dating her. And the two kids, one's blind, 
So, you know, here's this single guy, right? Starts liking this female, has two kids, and, you know, she's nervous about the whole situation, about, you know, he's just going to get up and leave. This is going to be too much. He doesn't have kids. He doesn't know how long much it is to take care of kids. But there was an exchange in the garage with her father and him, Kurt Warner. And they had this really deep, hey, listen, all I ask you to do is just be, you know, a man and do this, whatever it was. Right. And then it was a really touching two men talking to each other. The guy, the father was really great about it. Mm-hmm. Kurt Warner was really great about it. And he says, you don't have to worry about me. I will be there. I will, you know, because the father was moving and saying, I need you to take care of her and the kids. Right. If you're going to do it, do it. Right. And then they shook hands. And as they were shaking hands, the character that was playing the father didn't look the guy in the eye. And it took away from the whole handshake really? to me. Really, and I and I, yeah. I said it out loud to my girlfriend. I said, "Guys, not even look at him in the eye. Like yeah. when you shake somebody's hand, you say it in the book, right. and, and it touched me. Eye to eye contact. You have yeah. to have that you eye. Do. Why is that so important? Because it conveys a sense of confidence that you're not afraid to look that guy you're shaking hands with across the table, or when you walk in the room, you extend your hand, you look that man right in the eye, and it just says, "Hey, you know, it, it can even be." I don't want to say confrontational, but you convey the idea or give the idea that, hey, I'm here to do business. I'm not backing down. You know, I have a point of view. I have an opinion. I have something I want to present. I have a sales pitch or you're trying to sell me something, you know, and you got to, that says to me or what I want to tell the other guy looking him in the eyes, like, no, you got to convince me. Yeah. It's you true. got my attention, but you got to convince it's me. Really, it, right. It's true what you said, too. Like, if you're if you're walking into a meeting for the first time, mm-hmm. right, and you have a sales pitch, and you want to sell something, whether it's yourself or a right. product or whatever No, you're always is. selling yourself. That's the first thing you're selling anytime, whether you're, um, you're selling something, a product or a service to someone, or even when I was a detective in Nassau County, and when I worked in the detective squad over in Baldwin, first precinct, when you're walking into the room with a bad guy and you have to get a statement or a confession from that guy about his involvement in a case, a criminal case, you got to walk in that room. And the first thing I would always do is shake the hand, look the guy in the eye. I'm selling myself. I got to convince this guy sitting on the bench that he's got to give me something that's going to sink his boat. I'm not walking in there selling him a car. He's going to give me money. I'm going to give him a product he can drive away and use and enjoy for a couple of years. You know, I'm not selling that. I'm so selling. What did he say? I'm surprised. So you, yeah. here's a criminal. Right. No matter what he did. Right. You're walking into the first time, coming mm-hmm. into trying to, like you said, because that's you know that that's seals part of the what case. We do. Yeah, that seals does. the case yeah. is get the confession. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's. I, in my opinion, that's the most important thing after right. you right before you hand it off to the district attorney's office. The right. case, right? You get that confession because yes. now you just made the DA. You just made their job a lot easier. A lot easier right. once you do that, right? Mm-hmm. So doesn't matter what he did that was a technique that you decided yep. that you wanted to do it's a sales you- technique i'm selling myself i gotta sell this guy and i even touched on in the book too about keeping your word about going through that whole thing with um a bad guy locked up and what sold him into giving me a statement was i kept my word about he wanted something from me i kept my word it ruffled a few feathers along the way trying to get keep my word and do the favor for this yeah. guy but it got done but the point is, you got to get in there, and, and and I shook this guy, you know, you shake the guy's hand, look him in the eye, introduce yourself, and you have to sell yourself. Again, I'm not selling him anything he can use. I'm selling him something that 
he can't use. In fact, it's not going to help him at all. At Probably all. Probably going to get him a prison sentence or you know time in jail, or it's going to hurt him. So you got to be good, and you got to instill that sense of confidence. You walk in that room and say, hey, you know, I'm the detective. You're the guy in the suit and tie, the pen and pad, you know, and I'm here to do my job. I'm here to. Do you ever feel like you know, uh, man? After in the, at the end of the day, I really fucked that guy over. I really, you know, what I mean, I, here I am. Mm-hmm. I come in there, and I told him, "Hey, listen, you know, if, no. you, if you never did no. nothing, no, that, no, the whole." I, 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 have I felt bad for people for being they got involved in something? You know, maybe with their stupid friends, and it just went to shit, and they didn't realize maybe that this guy was gonna rob someone, and then didn't realize that he was gonna shoot that guy, and he's in the car driving the car, and the friend just told him, "Hey, you know, sometimes a guy like that, you know, may make a better witness than a defendant, but sometimes they're just so deeply involved." And you have no choice. They, yeah, you don't have a choice. Do I have some? Compassion? Do I feel bad for that guy? Yeah, I do. To a degree, I do. But I also know too that everybody that sat in in that in a in a room like that when I went in to speak with them, I would say about ninety nine point nine percent of those people that came in there were there by their own hand. You know, so you know one of the things you also were talking about in the book was you know truth, mm-hmm. right? But you said I think that it was it a quote or something that you know sometimes a lie right is okay. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a case. Well, actually, yes, and you know, it's like you know the story. You know, someone friend or has a kid, has a baby with his wife, and you know, you go visit or they bring the kid over, and you know, you look at the kid. I'm like, Jesus, you know, like from Seinfeld. Seinfeld that was like, uh, looks like Lyndon B. Johnson. Baby. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is my baby beautiful? Like, uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, you tell you what are you gonna say? No, the kid's butt ugly. It looks like a fucking baboon or a freaking. <laughs> You know, you're not going to say that, you know, yeah. you're not going to go say that. But, you know, um, yeah, there are times when when sometimes telling the truth is not always the best option. And that was one thing in the book I wrote, you know, and that, that the lesson I wrote in, in this book was about that. I didn't want to I really didn't want to write that lesson. It was in my head and I had it written out in my head and then I put it on paper and I'm like, you know what? This is going to be too nebulous. It's going to be too confusing. There's nothing to really like congeal around this idea of when not to tell the truth. And well, I want these guys, someone reading it to sink their teeth into it and be able to come out with something on the other end. You know, uh, I think it was Mark it, Twain in the book that you, that wrote. Mark Twain in your book you quoted, um, "An honest man is never afraid." I don't know if I said that, but I believe something that, like no. What I said was I quoted. In that lesson, I quoted the character who played Ephraim Divaroli from War Dogs. When oh War Dogs, okay, yeah. yeah. He said the truth. He goes, since when does the truth ever help anybody? And then the next quote I put underneath, just to show the dichotomy between telling the truth and not telling the truth. I telling the truth. It was it was Mark Twain. I did say that if you if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. Remember anything. Right. Right. It was a movie that I saw with Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was quoted as saying. It was the um, Catch Me If You Can. Okay, yeah, And it was sure, based on a sure. real story. It yep. was uh, an honest man never has anything to be afraid of. Right. Because it's always the honest. Right. But I like that quote that you did with Mark Twain. An honest man never has to remember anything. Yeah, well, if, you tell, if, you always, tell the, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. Yeah, because yeah. it's not, 
the lie that you're right. trying to remember. Right. And then that then that's what these criminals when you I'm sure that yeah, was the whole point. You, you let them up. talk. Yeah. And let yeah. the more they're gonna talk, the more that they're gonna have to right. lie. They are, yeah. And, and they trip over themselves. And it's like a, you know, you when you when you cross examine someone on the stand, you know, I'm sure most of the time you have the answers before you ask the question. Yeah, you never that was the that's the golden right. key that's the golden right. rule on a cross. Right. Never ask a question that you don't know the answer to right. because then that could ruin the whole case. Right. Because it's a strategy you set it up. But sometimes you walk in the room, you have you, you. They don't. They don't know who you talk to before you walk in that room. They're they're isolated. They're in a room by themselves, and you talk to their co-defendant, and that co-defendant gave everything up. You know, and, and you already have the goods. They have no idea. Right. You talk to the guy. You trying to. You know. And you know. Sometimes you catch him. I, I, I wasn't there. Well, I said, listen. Here's a copy of your friend's statement. He just signed. In fact, you know what? Bring him in and t you tell him what you just told us. He goes, yeah, man. I gave it up. You know, I gave everything up. You know, that's. You know how you can bag people. That's <laughs> like, the, that, that's it's, something it's, else. It's all about tell. strategy. I, I never made it about ego. Like, oh, ha ha, I got you. You know, I never did that because it doesn't. There's no. No, because you're gonna go home and then it's, it's over. It's immature. Yeah, yeah it's immature. Yeah. It's unprofessional. It's stupid. Like, you know, no, you did your job. You know, you did your job. Um, One of the uh, other things I wanted. To, okay. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. There was something else. There's another lesson that you talk about, and I feel like this is very important when I talk. When I do my show, when I just how I live my life, right? And it wasn't as much as when I was younger because I I didn't I was always trying to push it, push it on someone else. It was always somebody else's fault. It was always no you. The reason why I'm acting this way is right. just because you, you started yeah. it first. Yeah. And one of the things that really helped me in my life get some peace and also not have as much stress because you know I'm always talking and I'm always you know holding on to that baggage or that that issue was accountability. Right. Right? How important is that for a young man to what that lesson? How important is that for a young man to learn? Oh, today in today's day and age, I'd say it's it's ultra important to learn that lesson. Um we live in a society from the top down, the people who make the laws. And you see this now in New York State too with this bail reform. It's no longer about being responsible no. and for your actions. It's now about blaming the rest of the society of society as blaming the system for all of your shortcomings and all of your um, your social ills and your bad behavior. It's not about you, bad you know, Mr. Defendant. It's okay. You sit here, we're gonna pat you on the head and we're gonna pass legislation now that that you know no longer holds you accountable in any meaningful way. So you can kind of you know the implied message there is that well go and do what you want well, and blame you, everybody else. Why well, do I think that? Why do you think you know? And I, I have my and I want to just hear your theory right. first. Why do you think that this whole bail reform, honestly, has been instituted here in New York? What is the reasoning? You're a cop. You were right. there. You've seen it. You made arrests. Mm -hmm. You saw what you know a deterrent being that you hey spending the night overnight you know you're, you're going to court in the morning right. as opposed to you come in now you get a desk appearance ticket and the guy's on his merry way right. and he could just yeah. he literally they reoffend and they come back he yeah, could literally meet yeah. his friends yep. at the mall by six o'clock and they could all be hanging out when he just got arrested yeah. for whatever it may and be and then reoffend and get rearrested again yes. we've had that happen but why do you think that the the people the you know the powers that be decided that this is a good idea to get rid of the bail. It's about bail. So, social justice. It's about an implementing so, an agenda of social justice where a you know they feel that um, a disenfranchised group of people, mostly minorities, get arrested too much um, and get placed in, in, into jail or into prison without any opportunity to make bail because they can't afford it. 
That was the thinking behind it. Uh, well, there's a solution for that. Don't commit crime that you need to go and get bail. Someone needs to go get bail money for it to bail you out that they don't have. That's that solution. Solu- that's the first that's, simple that's solution. A, that's a real solution. That's, yes. Yeah, and and that's you know and and the second solution is if you do, and this is what I tell my clients: if you are going to be playing this game, right? Of because it's just a numbers game when they start d- dealing drugs or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. I tell everybody that you know. Look, listen, it's just a game. It's just a numbers game. Your name, your your number's going to come up because if it's not you getting directed in this direct hand-to-hand sale, it's going to be somebody else that did and then it's going to give up your name and right. that's how you're going to get right. into it. Right, you know, I, you know, and I always say, why didn't you have money to bail yourself? Like, are you making all this money? You know, you got this fancy car you're driving that they they seized you have the rolex you have the three iphones that you're walking around yeah, yeah. you know in yeah. the car why do you have three iphones for what it makes no sense right. but why didn't you save the money that's a, that would be the second thing that i would always say is first of course don't commit the crime mm-hmm. but the second is why didn't you prepare for it right i i i don't know. I mean, but now they don't have to, which is that's what I yeah, mean. They don't have to now because there's no accountability. There's none, zero, and that that's the problem. That's the problem with anything. Anytime you put um, any word in front of justice, I think you 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 throw it off kilter and you take away the meaning of it. Now, social justice. All right, what's social justice? What the fuck does that mean? You know, I mean, yeah. and they have their own definition of what it means. The left controls the narrative on this, and that's who controls Albany now. You know, on all three houses, you know, all three all three chambers, you know, the governor and, and the Senate and the uh, the Assembly. Uh, hopefully that changes in November, but we'll see. Um, but, yeah, their mission was to no longer hold these people accountable for the bad crimes. And the people who get hurt are mostly the people that they say they're trying or purport to, you know, say that they're trying to protect. You know, minorities, they, they go right back into their neighborhoods and recommit violent crime or crimes that lead to the... Um, the deterioration or hollowing out of the quality of life in those neighborhoods. So I don't see who they're helping here. They're not helping anyone. No, absolutely no, not. Absolutely. We, uh, um, but that that's the accountability part um, of it, that there's no accountability. And in, in the book I write, and I believe I touched on some incident that happened with me um, with, uh, I was training a, a rookie and some incident, something happened where she injured a prisoner inadvertently and I got called on the carpet for it. And I took it. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to want and snivel here about it and make up an excuse why it happened. I could have. I, I, yeah. I outlined that in the book why I could have. But the why didn't matter. What mattered to me was that I put myself in this position to be someone who trains these people and you take on that responsibility and you do without excuse. You know, you know if they fuck up or something happens, you're on, you know, you're going to get called on the carpet for it. You're getting held accountable for it or at least questioned why did this happen? Okay, it happened. I apologize. I have zero excuses, and I'll work hard not to make <laughs> to make sure it doesn't happen again, sir. Yeah, absolutely. So, where where do you see from where you started to what you see, you know you're seeing today? Where do you see the role of men? You know, men's or men's men. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to get back that mystique of a man? You know, that's a man's man. You would see him on TV. He's right. you know. This this guy with a beard and you know yep. uh, uh, just yeah. a man's yeah, man yeah. type of guy. That I'll go drink a beer with him or right. I'll go hang. You know that's the guy I want to watch the football game with. Right. Well, you're not going to get it. In my opinion, you're not going to get it from media. You're not going to get it from the ac- academia. But then, the, 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 but no, right there, stay right. right there. Then, if that's the case, mm-hmm. then I don't see where how you're going to recoup this because right. 
The media oh, yeah, is the propaganda. I, I, think, I think it's doable. And I think it's doable with books like this. And hopefully I can inspire other, other writers. You know, I consider myself not just a writer, but I consider myself part of a legion of writers, an army, if you will, of warriors that come together to push forward agendas and books like this and, you know, writings like this that, you know, were, or maybe where I missed on some aspects, another writer who has similar ideas or same, the same ideas as, as I do, <clears throat> excuse me, will come up with something better. To me, it's not about competing with other writers. To me, it's about working together as an army of writers um, and a group of writers who are, you know, like warrior angels who are going to go out and help men, young men and women too, realize that, listen, you know, Shit isn't good out there right now in the Western world. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, I know. The state of manhood's in pretty poor shape. What do you think and, of and the? What, we what need you... to get it. We need to get it back on track. We need to get word out there. You know, I mean, like the book helps. Venues like this help. It gets word out. You know, you can inspire the right people. You know, I don't believe in the adage. Oh, you know, the thing about oh, if I just help one person, get the fuck out. That's not going to help anybody. But if you help that one person who can touch ten other people or a hundred people or some person who's of influence. And like you or someone else who's a big influence, you know, can get out there and, and talk to a lot of young men and young people. Um, that can make a huge difference, you know. You're talking grassroots stuff. Yeah, stuff yeah that's what works. Yeah, grassroots works. I, I think it does. It's worked in politics. It works in other in other other fields of you know of 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 life, other aspects of life. It works. Why do you? Why do? Why do we see though? Why do we see our politicians, especially? Why are they so scared to talk like how you're talking right oh, now? Oh, because they're politicians, and what they're afraid of is the, the the machine of the left coming into full gear. And it's the same, you know. It's it's a playbook. They 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 read. Oh, we got a white male conservative politician talking about masculinity and talking about um, you know uh, um, getting rid of abortion this and okay that's on page five of our playbook turn to page six ladies and gentlemen and here is the um, here's the the remedy for that we're gonna call him a white misogynist Nazi um, loving yeah Nazi yeah all, all the all the ists isms and phobe phobias and phobes you can you can call you know adjectives you can call this guy and we're going to throw it out to every media outlet in the world. We're going to hit him on Twitter. We're going to hit him on Facebook. We're going to hit him on all the social media outlets. We're going to bury this guy. That's how the left operates. You know what? Though? These guys get scared because they're afraid of their support's going to dry up financially. They're afraid that the um, corporations, the the, the people yeah, that donating the money, they're going to come after them or, yes. or not donate to them, and their constituents too. You got to remember a lot of people who are in, just in the world who aren't. I don't want to sound like a snob. But a lot of people aren't as discerning as maybe you or I or, or, or Eric or people who are involved in this in this kind of forum or in this in this you know the idea of getting ideas out there. Yeah, you know that takes some, you know it takes work. Yes. it takes research. It takes um, it takes an acumen in you know an expertise to a degree an expertise in knowing you know the ebb and flow of politics and how things work. You need all that stuff. Most people out there don't give a shit about that stuff. Most people to see. You know, they'll watch the turn on Channel 7 and watch the news at night. Oh, that, oh, that, yeah, that, oh, I'll, I'll, look what happened to our congressman. Oh, I didn't know he was a homophobe, racist, and this and that. Well, I don't know if I could vote for that guy. Uh, you know, I don't feel good about voting for him. Yeah. It's not about what the facts are anymore. It's about what people feel. And that's what the media operates And how you so, can trigger yeah. somebody into yeah, feeling media, a certain way. The media operates on fear. My thing yeah, is, is and that, that's what they do. They scare people into not voting for people. You know my that's, yeah. That's why they don't this that's to answer your question. That's why these politicians don't speak the way I speak or you speak, you know, or you know about matters and things. These people who are 
so concerned about not having masculine men mm -hmm. without that masculinity without the masculine men their freedoms and their ability to be able to say that wouldn't even exist right so it's almost like that those are, masculine men are the guardians of freedom yep. They are right at the door. Mm -hmm. That's who that is. Because at the end of the day, what are you going to do when you have? We're going to say fight Russians, or you fight these Chinese that now are trying to actually change the DNA of the soldiers to become these super soldiers. Yep. Who are you going to want to in that trend in those trenches on that front line? Who's going to fight them? I want the baddest, toughest motherfucker out there. You know, <laughs> who, who, yeah. Who who's going to be the guy who's going to? Say, hey, you know what? Not my fucking watch. This ain't going to happen. This is not going to happen. Miss Jones, you take your kids. You go in the house. I'll take it from here. I got it. They're yes. not getting past this point. Fuck them. That's the guy I want out there. Those are the kind of cops I want, the kind of firemen I want, the kind of EMS workers I want. You know, I mean, if Marine, we have a Navy yeah, Marine, SEAL, exactly. whatever. I want them all like that. And yes. I want, listen, and, and as, you know, I have all daughters, so I, I make a tribute to the, to the females out there, too, the, girl, the women in the world, too. You know, if you're any, in any of these fields, law enforcement, whatever, too, you know, you got to be badass, too, and you got to step up, and you got to be tough. Yeah, because you what happens to, when you have that female yeah. cop that's on patrol, and yeah. she's walking the beat, and next thing you know, you have this 300-pound man yeah. who's around six foot five. Like, let's just say George Floyd. If that was right. a female that first went there, she would never have been able to get him into the cop right. car, never been able right. to get him, and who knows what would have happened after that, right. you know? So you got to be tough, is what I'm saying. You have There's, have, there's, a, there's a certain ruggedness. Physical, mental, and spiritual toughness and ruggedness you need uh, to, to, to make your way in the world and to operate in the world. The world ain't getting any easier. I don't know if you're outside of our shores here. You know, if, they, if, you, uh, if, if, the, if the Chinese decided to send an invasion for, an invading force into California or land in Florida or wherever, you know, who's going to be out there fighting? Think about it, you know? Think I know. about it. Who's going to be out there fighting? You're going to find the toughest guys you could find who are going to pick up an AR-15 you know, AR or any other armaments and head to that point where the, you know, the invasion is taking place. You're going to have the toughest guys going there. They're just going to gravitate towards because they're going to be like, no, this is not happening. <laughs> not in my turf. Yeah. Not in my family. Yeah. Not with my friends. Not with my way of life. Fuck that. No way. How long did it take you to write this book? Great question. I was touching on that in the beginning. It took me about 10 years to write this. 10 I, years? I'll explain. I'll explain what happened. Over the last 10 years or so, um, I had ideas about various topics. And I didn't know. I was kind of just throwing ideas on, um, um, what do they call it, Microsoft Word on my computer. You know, and it was intermittent. It wasn't anything that was consistent. consistent. I wasn't sitting there writing every day for like you know months on end it was just you know between work the kids obligations family stuff it was just you know, when he had a chance or when an idea inspired me and i would you know jump on my computer and say oh, you know something about confidence oh, and sit there and i tap out some ideas and i just put them under like these loose headings it wasn't anything formal or anything that was you could look at and say oh this is really like you know a great you know, formalized looking book and broken down nicely, what, nothing like that. And I just kept pecking away at it over the years. And I really didn't do an inventory of it. I didn't sit and read through every page or every line for line. I just had ideas and I kept putting them on paper. When I retired last year, um, six months before I retired, I took a job with a mortgage company. And I got licensed and I was writing mortgage loans. Um, not a lot because I started not to like it. 
So, I can imagine. I didn't, yeah. want, I didn't want to say I was going to wait for you to finish. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, was, I work with great people. They were good guys yeah. and everything. But it just, it just wasn't for me. And I, I found that out. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe if I retire, that wasn't part of the reason why I retired. I wanted to retire for just because it was time, you know. And that thing my friend Mike told me. You know, about the more good years being, you know, yeah, um, the good year, yeah, good years a lot. behind me and and not in front of me. Um, and I retired and I took that job up full time. Really ran with it, and it, it didn't get any better. It didn't change the way I felt. I'm like, I just don't like this thing. I just, I'm not, wasn't. You're not waking up happy. No, I just wasn't. It wasn't for me. I'll leave it at that. And I would say about maybe September around there, middle of September to the end of September of last year, I just sat down and took a second look at this manuscript or this outline. I looked at it and said, fuck, you know, I got enough here for a book. I'm looking at it, there's a lot here. I said, man, this is really great. So I contacted a self-publishing company and they called me back. I never forget where I was, though. I was in my backyard inside the net that covered one of my fig trees and I'm picking figs because we're really figs are the best oh they are that's an Ita- that's a real Italian got fig trees in his backyard I pick up my phone it's ringing I'm looking at it I'm like looking at the number I'm like what the fuck is this probably one of those telephones but someone told me pick it up I usually don't answer those yeah calls. same I picked it up and this girl's like hello I'm so and so from this publishing company I'm like oh I said you got my call she goes yeah that's why I'm returning your call I'm like okay good so I said, let me just disentangle myself for a minute. Now she's thinking, like, this guy's a fucking weirdo. What's he talking about? Yeah. I told her what I was doing. She goes, oh, that's great. She goes, what's your idea for the book? She got right to biz- down to business. And I said, well, it's a self-help book for men. I could almost hear her on the other end of the phone going, <laughs> she goes, great. We got a lot of self-help books. What's your angle? And I said, my angle is, and I thought of this in the fly because I never thought I, had to, I would have to answer this question, but my angle was, one, I said, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I'm not going to bore people with stats and all the stuff I know because I'm a PhD or something. I'm not taking away from people with PhDs, but a lot of the stuff they write is boring. You yeah, know? it's methodical. Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's just, it's rote. It's, you know, it's like, you probably didn't want to write it probably almost as much as I don't want to read it, but you wrote it and there it is. It's boring and dry and it's, you know, a lot longer than I would want it to be. Um, and she goes, all right, that's interesting. And I said, well, my ideas I feel can they convey pretty well the paper and I think it'll be you know it's an easy read and you know it's I have ideas about pulling it putting it like in bullet point fashion which I did keep and bite-sized paragraphs that are easy to read in plain English and I agree with all of what you're yeah. saying and she yes. said yes she said, okay that's good she goes what else she goes you're not really convincing me yet you know she said that in so many words and I said well how many self-help books for Mendy have written by cops and it was a silence on the phone she says I don't think we have any I said well I bring that perspective to the book you know, not in every lesson or every, you know, thing that I touch on, but I said a lot, you know, a lot of what's in here I draw from my experience as a cop, young cop, and all the cops, seasoned cop. And she goes, all right. She goes, that's an idea. She goes, I think we could work with that. And she said, well, can you start writing? I said, it's done. Yeah, I got I said, it. It's essentially done. I just have to clean it up. I don't know where to go from here. That's why I'm, I called you guys. I just want to get this going. So you get into the program, and they set you up with a mentor writer. And they hooked me up with this guy named Scott, who was a self-help the, you know the same. They put you in the same genre with mm-hmm. a, a mentor writer, and this guy was uh, this guy named Scott, and he wrote a bunch of books already. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm talking to a really professional writer here. This is like a little intimidating, you know. I was like, yeah. So we do a um, we do a, uh, a Zoom conference with one on one for an hour with this guy, 
uh, your mentor for like once every couple of weeks just to mark your progress and, and you know and see how you're doing and all that. And he, they help. He makes suggestions. I thought he was going to be a little standoffish and snooty and condescending and like, God was great. Couldn't have asked for a better mentor. Oh, Not that great. I ever had him, but the yeah, guy was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He was really great. And he uh, gave me a lot of guidance along the way and suggestions and and after right before our, uh, on our last call we did I you know he said he goes you're ready for editing I think I think you're, you're good he goes you have all the ideas down he didn't read anything but I told him what I was doing and how I formatted things and you know mm -hmm. and all that and and cleaned the the outline up really well and he said listen you're ready you're ready for for editing and I said all right so could I ask you a favor and he says yeah and he goes um I don't I don't want to go through the school they're good but they're a little weird I said can I use one of your editors he goes yeah absolutely I'll send you a list of people I use all the time they're great and he's got a lot of books under his belt so he sent me out you know a list of people and I hooked up with one guy in Arizona this guy Wayne he was great and but right before we hang up he goes oh, by the way what's the name of your book we never discussed the name of your book and I was like I don't know I said I don't have a name he goes, well, you don't have a fucking name. He says, you got to have a fucking name for your book. You're going to edit you got to get a name for your book, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm course. like, I said, you know, Scott? I said, you're right. I said, I didn't, I don't, I don't know, man. I, said, I never thought of it. I was so busy just focusing on cleaning up everything I've written over the years. I never thought of an idea. He goes, well, I said, how do I do that? He goes, just think about the uh, your, what you're trying to convey to the reader and think about how you can pull them in by just reading the cover. And he went on to give me some advice about the color of the, you know, the configuration of the book. He goes, you're going to sell it on Amazon. They say, get us the white background. You want to have something that really pops out, black and, like, this is kind of what he uses in a lot of his books. Mm -hmm. That can, you know, that kind of color scheme. Yeah. As soon as you look at it, you can tell right yeah, away, this is the book. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So uh, he said, come up, you know, just sit down when we hang up and go through, you know, some ideas and you can come up with a title. So I was like, all right. So I hang up with them. I'm like, this is going to be an all-day process. I call people up. I was supposed to meet with friends for lunch. I quit. I canceled everything. I said, I'm sitting down. I'm not getting up on my fucking desk until I get a name for my book. So I did what he said. I said, what do you think? You know, what are you trying to convey to people? What do you think about, you know, X, Y? I'm going through all these conversations in my head. And I said, I said, what am I doing here? Like, what am I trying to sell here? Like, these guys, what are they after? I said, these guys are starving for ideas. I know that. I said, they have a hunger for ideas. They're hungry. I said, the hungry young man, it just came to me. Ten minutes later, I had a fucking title for my book. Uh, so I best. called my friend. Could have lasted a said, lot We're going out to eat. We're celebrating. <laughs> I got a title for my book. Turns out the hardest part was coming up with the subtitle, Cops View of Today's State of Manhood in the Western World. I think that's what catches you, though, too. Yeah. That makes it different. Yeah. It's a cop. Okay, this is a cop. Right. And you know what you think of when you think of a cop? A male cop? Right. A man's man. Right. And someone who knows, right? has been around, yeah. maybe, who understands life and yes. you know what you see and you know and so that's that's how i came up with the title and and you said before you said okay so you, to get the book on amazon what mm -hmm. else anything else or is it just amazon that you could buy the book from uh, yeah amazon it's on amazon i don't have any i'm not hooked up with any publishing houses yet i think you have to sell like 10 10,000 books before you can even they would even consider you um i sell them i, I ordered a bunch to get author's copies from amazon they sell them if you feel like a couple of bucks and i if i 
you know, someone wants to buy a book from me, I'll give it to them for 10 bucks. Yeah, well, listen, I got to tell you, and you know, how I met another author, you should think about doing that too, is is he? I saw him on a street festival in Farmingdale. Yep. He just got a little, you know, a little cubicle thing where, yep. you know, when come and he was, off, you know, he was signing the books. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I met him. I asked him to come on. It was a great way of, of awesome, doing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, so if you ever think about maybe doing something oh, like that. but Yeah, I will. I just want to tell you, man, I, I, I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy that you, you know, I read this book. It was great. I loved it. And, um, I wish you nothing but the you know the world of success because oh, people man, need men in yeah. our you know in our world right now need to read this book. Yes, they do. Again, mm-hmm. the hungry young man, Christian Migliori. Migliori is real. Migliori. Migliori. Migliori is real. That's right. I had a great. That's the American uh, version. There was a Suffolk County uh, attorney. He was actually almost a mentor to me. He was Rudy. Rudy Migliori. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. I've heard yeah. of him. Yeah. The past. Yeah, I heard. I heard. Yeah, yeah great yeah. guy. I heard. You know, he would take me out to lunch real quick. He would just, and all he want to do is say, "This is how you." He was a paisan. He had had spoke with a real heavy Italian accent. And he would say, it's all about networking. Yeah. He goes, the way that you want to run your business is you don't really work. You network. I refer. He was a big referral guy. He mm-hmm. gives the referrals, and right. he would do it to the guys, Salino and Barnes. Remember those? Oh, sure. Salino yeah. and Barnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The injury attorney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like it. One eight 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 eight. Yeah, yeah. Like and that. he did yeah. a lot of cases with asbestos, and he made a fortune. He made yeah. a killing. And it was again. He was the nicest guy in the world. And you know, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, of course he's Italian. Right? Yeah, so of course. Name, we, but, you know what? There's nothing in the world that you know. Uh, and don't take this the wrong way, Eric. We love you. Even though you're Irish, we still love you. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, we always joke around. My, my Italian friends and I, we get together, we joke around, and we say, there's nothing that the that the world can give that we can't make better as Italians. Yeah. You know? Like Thanksgiving. You know, the world, they, they gave us Thanksgiving, and I was like, all right, well, what do we make? Oh, we do the lasagna. We do this. We do everything. It's like, forget the turkey. It's like Pat Cooper, the comedian, used to say, we got like three turkeys sitting around one, you know, every Thanksgiving. Oh, what are you ba- going to eat me? You know, Sebastian but- Maniscalco, when he talks, you see that? Yeah. He, when absolutely. he talks about Seder, you know, he's like, I go to this Jewish thing oh, called Seder God, yeah, or whatever. He goes, Dave, why don't you have the Italians cater? Yes, you guys don't oh, do the cook. We'll do the cooking. Yeah, yeah you do the finances. Yeah. We'll do the cooking. Leave it to us. Whatever he said. We're yeah. good. Yeah. You know what? And, uh, yeah. Uh, but listen, I, listen. Yeah. Come back anytime. Anytime I would you love just come, to. Yeah, love you don't even have to come and talk about the book. You come in and, and you just will talk about current events or whatever yeah. it may be. Politics. I love all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I can yeah. talk. Hey, thank you, brother. Appreciate you it, man. Brother. Thank you. Good man. handshake. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And when, <laughs> hey, man, it's again, in the book. The book. Hey, you know what? Yeah, this this book. This is a side note and a closing note. You know, it was uh, I hate to use that term therapeutic, but it was. Yes. Because. Everything he wrote in this book now, you know, it's here. It's live. It's real. It's in the it's in the discourse of you know public discourse. It's in out for, in the stream of public consumption. And yeah, and, and it, I got to hold myself accountable to what's in here. I it can't, says the survival yeah. guide. I yeah. I look at it more as the Bible. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's for, an idea. Yeah. yeah. Hungry young man. That's yeah. how when I was, I was like, this is like a Bible for mm-hmm. how to be a man's man. Yeah. Again, Christian Migliori. The Hungry Young Man, a survival guide for men, a cop's view of today's state of manhood in what in the Western world. Again, if you get a chance, go over to our website, thejoecozoshow.com. We have all of our interviews there, as well as our YouTube page and, of course, Rumble. Again, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're out. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, but that wraps it up for another edition of the Joe Cozo Show. <laughs>